like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt Santi, and I'm thrilled today to be joined by Holly Elisa Bruno. Hi, Holly. Hey, Heather. Thanks for inviting me, and hi to everybody who's listening. Yeah, so what do you want people to know about you before we start talking? What I'd really like you to know is that I have discovered the important thing in my life is to tell the truth. The important thing in my life is to look at what I'm told not to look at <laughs> and, to, and, to, and to discover what's really there. And this is important as we talk about my new book, which is called Happiness is Running Through the Streets to Find You. But it's also called Translating Trauma's Harsh Reality, Harsh Legacy into Healing. And, and so, Heather, I want to say why uh, talking about the difficult things is important. Mm-hmm. In early childhood especially, we have every day, a teacher in a classroom every day has all of these children, and each child is a universe, and each child brings this complete being. And, and yet, here I am dealing with all these children individually and as a group and in small groups and, and with a teacher's aide or maybe team teacher. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's remarkable is... of emotion is communicated without a word being spoken. So I'm picking up all of these things. And what I know is that teachers are continuously picking up gut judgments. Uh, Dr. Malcolm Gladwell would say, we thin slice every second to make important decisions about what's really happening in the moment. And so let me cut to the chase. When I have made decisions to write about things like, should, I don't even like the word should, but, but is it wise for a teacher to have her personal cell phone in the classroom? That was a very tough topic, but as a recovering attorney, and that's one thing I'd like <laughs> you to know about me, is that I was an attorney and then I came to um, early childhood and people said, are you crazy? And I said, yeah, probably am, but I want to be with people that want to make a difference. So like you, I took the vow of poverty, right? Yeah. and what I began to see as I came into the profession was there are lots of things that we do that are beautiful and there's many things that we do that we need to look at a little a bit deeper and here's the deal 
I've come to see that we are the children's curriculum. The mm -hmm. children are watching me. So if I've got my cell phone and I'm looking up a teaching strategies app, but instead I get a ping and it's my mother with Alzheimer's um, and, I, and all of a sudden the truth is because what we know about adult brains as well as children's brains, Heather, is that my brain is gonna totally go away and focus totally on that emergency, which is my mother. And if the child in front of me, if I just don't look at that child for one minute, so many things could happen. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things we didn't talk about because we all wanted our cell phones and with good reason, <laughs> wanted to stay in touch, you know, yeah. um, things are going on. Mm -hmm. And yet I wrote a policy about that and I'm glad to say that it's incorporated now in a number of policies around the country because it essentially focuses on how do we keep the children safe. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll conclude this whole thing by saying, as I've chosen to write about the difficult things in early childhood, I have come to see that that's what people really want to talk about as long as it's talked about with love. Mm -hmm. So the other thing I talked about that was really tough, um, and yet I had to do it, was what do we do about gossip, whining, and negativity? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my God. When I was a teacher, I wouldn't go in the teacher's lounge because I love my students. Now, I'm not saying people in the teacher's lounge didn't either, but they were talking about the students' families. They were talking about kind of like a gossipy place, mm -hmm. and it was a downer for me. Mm -hmm. Maybe I wanted to stay in denial. Maybe I didn't want to know some of the things they were talking about, and I'm not above anybody. But I, I chose Heather to write about gossip to say, what can I do? What can I do? to focus on the children rather than allow that part of myself that's involved with power struggles to pull me away. And um, again, when I read the study, you've probably read, which says four-year-old little girls are forming exclusive cliques. Mm, yeah. So this is it. We're modeling life for the children. So what can I do? So I've written a lot about gossip, uh -huh. negativity. And so to introduce today, the topic I'm writing about is what is it like to be a teacher or a director and have children in your program who are troubled? Now, everybody who's listening says, yeah, that would be me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. I mean, um, and yet I'm going to come at this, Heather, from two perspectives. One is what I know about the research on trauma and brain development, not just of children, but also of adults. Mm -hmm. And also, here's the thing. I want to talk about trauma from the inside out. I want to talk, uh, I'm smiling here because it has healing in it, but it's a very difficult thing. I have worked with children who were traumatized. Have you, Heather? Oh, yes. Yes. And yes. everybody that's listening, yes. Yep. And how do we know? Well, we know. And how do we work with them? Well, that's the challenge because I'm not a trained psychologist. Um, I, who among us is? And even if I go through a lot of trauma-informed training, that doesn't mean that I'm ready in that moment to be with that child who perhaps what she's doing can remind me of some things that I experienced because here's another fact. Unpublished research from Jackie Taylor says that, and I'm going to ask you this question first, what percentage of early childhood professionals do you think 
we ourselves as early childhood professionals, what percentage of us has experienced trauma in our childhoods ourselves? Oh, I, I don't know a number, but I can tell you, I believe that's a high percentage. I think our field attracts people who have been hurt um, because of the feeling that they can, you know, receive validation and love from these young children. Um, I mean, I think that's one factor, but I, I absolutely think that's a very high percentage. So you're right. And uh, actually, what you just said is powerful, because that's what Jackie said to me, too. She said, look, um, and I hadn't thought of this. People go into early childhood because children will love us unconditionally. Mm-hmm. And we can love them unconditionally. Yeah. And yet there's an alarm bell going off there because I need to be the adult who's present for the children. I, I, I don't need to be getting my love from the people that I'm serving. There's a codependency there that's yeah. troublesome to me. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, just just framing it within that idea of codependency, I think, can be really powerful. Um, and and I, the other thing is I, I, they, they come into it for that unconditional love, but so many of them then are ill-equipped to deal with the more challenging children. Mm-hmm. Um, so So those of us who have experience trauma end up sometimes rejecting those who are now experiencing trauma because we haven't done the work for ourselves. Right. And it's perhaps for me because it's too painful. Yeah. It's too painful to see that child that's getting into trouble um, and and, and asking for attention every which way because that child was me. And Mm -hmm. because I'm going to be 74 at the end of this month, (laughs) there were not a lot of trauma-informed people in the world. There wasn't even a term, Heather, post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. We didn't know about complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Complex is when the, the, the trauma is repeated uh-huh. and repeated, which was the case with me. We didn't know about, po- we didn't know about um, all of the ways in which the brain is affected. And people didn't even know about anxiety disorder. These were all terms that nobody was aware of. So now we're aware of them, but yeah. your point is well taken, Heather. Even if I'm aware of them with my brain, how is my heart and my brain connected? And that's what I'd like to talk about. And let me, if I can, share with you that Jackie said to me, her research is, um, she thinks it's very conservative. She wanted to be very, very conservative and accurate with it. So in her research, she discovered that 58% of us who are early childhood professionals experience traumatized childhoods ourselves. And when I anecdotally, like you, have gone around the country and also the world and asked people, okay, at your small tables, if you're willing to, and we do it in a way that doesn't <laughs> embarrass anybody, yeah. what percentage of you at that table do you think or has experienced trauma? And we do it anonymously. Do you know, Jackie, that, um, Heather, I'm sorry, what Jackie <laughs> said. Hi, Jackie. <laughs> well, Heather, do you know that... Um, I, in my workshops, people usually talk about 80 to 90% or higher. There are times when it's 100%. Mm-hmm. So that's why I want to share with you today. I am, take, take a look at me. I mean, I mean, I am who I, I am, and I've written six books, and I was an assistant attorney general for the state of Maine, and I was an associate professor and dean of faculty. I have done all these things that were responsible, and I pray I... I did a good job at them. And yet who I am, and this goes back to talking about the difficult things, who I am is a survivor of incest, Mm -hmm. 
who wants to talk about incest? I don't, but it's the truth. Right. And I'm not the only child, okay, who experiences that. My mother was mentally ill. My mother was psychotic, and, and uh, no one could talk about that back in the day. The mm -hmm. rules for families, troubled families, were don't talk about it, don't feel anything about it, and, and, and don't trust. So I was the child who went to school. I went into your classroom, and I was the one that would give you the hardest time, not because I was a mean-spirited child, but because I was wild. There was no one to help me <laughs> know about boundaries. There were no boundaries in my life. Yeah. People could come in and scream or people could come in and abuse. There would be no, it was chaotic. Uh -huh. So when I got to the classroom, those poor teachers, oh my goodness, and here's something else. I talked my way into going to school a year early. And this is another attribute of <clears throat> uh, traumatized children. We become what's called parentified adults. Uh -huh. uh, John Bradshaw said, you got to watch out for the perfect children. I could go between being that troublemaker to get attention and the perfect child to get attention. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is um, I just knew that I couldn't bear to be at home taking care of my mother anymore. My sisters had gone off to school. I was a little kid and I was a positive, upbeat, upbeat, cheerful little kid and I could get my mother to laugh and I could get her to sing with me and I could get her to dance with me and that might help her from sliding down into her, into her what they called back in the day, nervous depression, nervous yeah. breakdowns. But the truth was it was exhausting me and I couldn't sure. sleep well and I, I just, you know, I, I just, when I was inside that house, I was terrified most of the time. Will my mother slip into her insanity? Will my father get abusive? Or will at night he come into my room? These were horrible and yet we looked good to the community. So what I needed to say is that what I did, Heather, to survive was I took my mother by the hand, she was in one of her silenter days, and I took her by the hand to the elementary school and I went to Mrs. Beebout, the <laughs> elementary school principal, and I said, Mrs. Beebout, I'm ready to go into first grade and I'd like to register. And she, she looked me up and she said, uh, no, you, you're not going to be five. You can't do this. And I said, well, my friends, Janie and Billy <laughs> and Phyllis are going, I wanna go. And she said, no, you can't, it's right here. And I said, well, you know, um, Mrs. Bebout, I really love to learn. And if you can ask me some questions, I'll be glad to answer your <laughs> questions about what I've learned, you know? Uh -huh. No, she kept saying, no, no, no. Uh -huh. And I kept not giving up because that's another trait of traumatized children. We either give up and, and, and collapse into a puddle of sadness or we say, I'm not gonna quit on this because my life depends on this moment. Mm -hmm. So I didn't quit and I was this little four-year-old thing and I'm, and I'm standing there and this is about, please give me a chance. Mm -hmm. And you know what she said to me, Heather? She said, so I think she was just sick and tired of this little girl. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't even allowed to talk back. So I'm saying, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, all this yeah. stuff. But she said, all right, and I'll never forget her words and it scared the daylights out of me, but I, I, I felt it was a triumph. She said to me, all right, I'll give you six weeks. And if you can't keep up, I don't want to see you in my, you know, back in this school for another year. Well, honey, I knew I was going to keep up. Right. So do I sound, sound like any of the kids that you might have had in your classes? Yes. Oh, the child who tries to get everything right and perfect and tries mm -hmm. to be perfect because any showing of vulnerability means that I could be hurt. Right. The other thing is the child that's a wiseacre, 
because I didn't learn any boundaries. I mean, if parents don't have the ability to have boundaries because they're drinking or they're getting high or they're troubled or they don't have work, whatever, children can't really learn how to adult Mm -hmm. from them. So in my book, I share what it was like, and that's what I want teachers and directors to know. I share what it was like from a firsthand experience to be the child that was traumatized couldn't talk about it, couldn't even tell myself about it, but wanting so much for school and for teachers to see me. Mm-hmm. And Heather, here's what made all the difference. And, and teachers listening and directors listening, you have done this. And I, from my heart, I thank you for this. I thank you for being like my elementary school teacher when I was very young. His name was Michael Ganta. <laughs> and he looked at my wildness and he looked at my energy and he looked at my ability to learn really quickly, which was a survivor's tactic. Uh-huh. And he, he started doing things like, Holly, Elisa, would you create some cartoons? And he put them up on the wall because he, could, he caught it that my sense of humor was helping me survive. Um, he uh, would say, Jason is having a lot of trouble with math. Do you think you could go sit with him and maybe help him out? Well, what did I know? as an elementary school teacher about teaching, I didn't. But what I knew and what I still do as a teacher is I sit with Jason. Uh-huh. I sat with him. I said, Jason, okay, so let's, what, where do we go with this? I have, what, what, what's your, what do you think? What do we do? And whatever he would do, I would find a way to build on that. Uh-huh. And that's what I still do. Uh-huh. Um, and then here was the wonderful thing. I had always had a little red journal that I wrote in where I kept my secrets. Now, my sisters could break into my journal, and I was aware of that. used to have a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So I started writing code. Of course. But here's the deal. I I loved Mr. Ganta, and he, he was the first person in the world to see me, not as a bad kid or not as a perfect kid, which seems strange. I might have been both. But Mm -hmm. he actually saw me. And he knew I was, he said, I thought I was talented. So he sent me to this special class for probably the Redbirds or the Bluebirds, you know, for children that could write. And I was terrified in that class. I thought I was probably the dumbest child there. Another point about traumatized children, we think we are the worst. We think we are nothing. Mm-hmm. I had a child right here in this city say, well, I heard about a child right here in this city say, when the teacher said, what's your name? And he said, I'm nobody. Uh. I'm nobody. And she said, well, my name is, and I'd like to be able to call you by name. Is there a name you'd like me to call you? And he repeated, I am nobody. And that's what it's like for a traumatized child. We don't have any faith in ourselves, and yet we have this energy in us of self-expression that has been bashed down. So when Mr. Gonta, uh, what happened in that class, Heather, was that um, the teacher read the best paper she'd ever gotten. And as she was reading it, I thought, (laughs) that's what I used to do as a child to cover my shame. Uh Uh, I said, oh, man, I'm so stupid. Everybody wrote about the same topic I did. (laughs) 
I'd been to the United Nations and I'd seen this phrase on the wall and it said, let us beat our swords into plowshares. Let us make peace. And as a traumatized child, that spoke to my heart. Let us make peace. Let us stop all of this abusing. And so I went back with my, to Michael's class with my head down and he, 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 he asked me to look up and he said, um, what happened? And I said, oh, you know, no, 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 no. And he stopped me and he said, I know your paper was the best. I know it was the best that Mrs. Keir has ever gotten. And I want to say to you, Holly Elisa, that you're a very special little girl and someday you will make a difference. Mm. And all I could see was the Statue of Liberty taking her torch down and handing it to me and I took it into my heart. That fueled me for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Michael Gonta got promoted to being a, a principal. I only had him for two months. But when I would be do, do what I was taught to do, what traumatized kids are taught to do, which is to put ourselves down, beat ourselves up, blame ourselves, I would remember sometimes what Mr. Gonta had said to me. And that carried me through my life. And he was the first, and there were others. And so mm -hmm. if you're listening, and you are the person that can see through the child's kicking, biting, pushing, yelling, screaming, um, pushing your attention away, I, from my heart, I want to thank you for knowing that you've made a difference in that child's life. Now, we can talk about the ACEs study, and this is in my book, too, and the, and the, the work by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. On, I mean, he says there's so much childhood trauma going on that it's, PTSD is not so much about the wars out there. He says the real war is at home. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm yeah. talking about? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that will really resonate with a lot of the folks who are listening to this to, to this episode because I do hear a lot um, of people who talk about one of the reasons that they do the work is because of the people like the teacher you're describing who mm -hmm. came into their life and were able yes. to see um, what you needed and to provide it and may have no idea that mm -hmm. you know, they had that impact on you, um, but, it, but you carry it with you. And so I love that you have shared that. That's, you know, a lot of times in my sessions, I like to ask uh, teachers and directors, and I'm going to inv invite you to think of this and uh -huh. reflect on it, and also the people listening, who was your worst teacher? Yeah. Can you think of that person right Absolutely. away? <laughs> and what did that person do, Heather? What was one of that teacher's behaviors? Um, the, the big story, and people will have heard this before probably, but it was a yeah. third grade teacher um, who... Uh, we were supposed to make a Christmas picture, so I guess it's also timely. And so I decided to draw Mary, Jesus, Joseph in the manger. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't know what a manger was, so I drew a cave. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I colored in the whole background as blue sky, but I colored mm. up and down. And she was so angry about that. And she, she, she picked it up and she said, everybody knows that you color side to side. Now it looks like it's raining on Jesus. <laughs> so that's not even you know that might have just been her bad day and it's not even like intentional cruelty but that has stuck and for years I felt like I wasn't a creative person because I had made that one mistake with my blue colored pencil when I was seven years old oh and not even uh, a mistake yeah you know, it, did, it did rain on Jesus come on you know? <laughs> right right but but also I had a, I was a very small child and yes. um uh uh timid Yes. And uh, every 
physical education teacher I ever had was very, you know, taunting and sarcastic, cruel. Uh, So um, I don't remember any of their names. I just remember that like cumulative experience of of not being what they wanted. And there's the deal, Heather, that we remember because our, our memories as children, we have two types of memories. One is extrinsic and the other is intrinsic. In elementary school, people focus on extrinsic memory because that's memorizing things from the outside in, like the Gettysburg Address, four score, and whatever, whatever. <laughs> Most of us don't remember that because it didn't touch us. Uh-huh. Intrinsic memory is what we do in early childhood. In fact, we do it our whole lives. Children come to the earth with robust intrinsic memory, and that's when we touch their hearts. So we remember when someone shamed us, judged us, um, abandon us, and there's a pain center in our brain that lights up, which means it becomes very, the neurons become very active when we are shunned, abandoned, rejected. And everyone I've spoken to is very similar to you, Heather. They had a teacher when I asked the question, who was your worst teacher? The teacher shamed them. Mm-hmm. The teacher blamed them. The teacher made them feel awful about themselves. And what is it that early childhood teachers and directors have the beautiful gift of doing? We can do the opposite. We can honor the child. We can find what is beautiful in that child. And that child is like the Statue of Liberty. The torch will go inside that child. I have a son who just turned 36, and I love him forever and always. And he he's... Um, he was, came from Korea. I didn't know anything about his background, and he um, was in diapers until he was seven. Mm-hmm. Teachers would tell him to use words, but he couldn't articulate the words. The thing that happened with Nick that I'm so grateful for is I always loved him so much that I would look at him and think, what a gift. What a gift this child is. And it didn't matter to me that he was biting. I mean, it did matter. Sure. But I thought he's trying to say something. So if he can't use words, and so I found the teachers that could help him get the energy, you know, out. And the, the teachers that saw Nick and saw his gifts, he loved them. He did really well with them. And the teachers that couldn't see him, he would wreck their classrooms. And so in a way, my own son was a greater is a greater teacher to me than even all the children with whom I've worked of any age, including adult children, (laughs) (laughs) because all children want, all adults want is to be seen and heard for who we are. We Mm -hmm. don't want to be judged. And so if we're judged, we will hide ourselves. I used to get tongue tied. I had an older sister who was very bright. She's still very bright. <laughs> and yet we found out later that our IQs were the, were the same, but, but she felt she was bright and, and I didn't feel I was. Um, and, and anyway, when she would quiz me and ask me questions about Plato and Socrates, I'm a little kid, you know, Plato. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love Plato. <laughs> Anyway, I didn't have the answers. And so after a short time, it didn't take me long. We learn. We learn how to mm-hmm. cover ourselves. Yeah. I, Heather, I started stuttering. I couldn't get the words out because I was so afraid of being judged. In my first year of school at four years old, when Mrs. McClure 
asked me something and it was usually, did I remember a fact? I didn't remember a fact because I'd been out sick with a cold and I had a panic attack. I didn't know what it was called, but I thought, oh my God, I'm going to go crazy like my mother. So all of this awful stuff was going on inside me as when you sit with a child whose troubles, not just can't sit with her, you have to like go around the room with her. <laughs> she may be having a panic attack. She may be flashing back to something horrible that happened at home. She may be scared to death, but she can't trust you. Mm-hmm. By the way, I did an interview. You mentioned the BAM radio uh, podcast that I did. And one of them was with one of the authors of the ACEs, the adult, excuse me, the adverse childhood experiences study, uh, Dr. John Medina. And at the end of my interview, I said, so, so John, what's the one thing you feel those of us who work with children can do that would help them the most, especially the children who are traumatized? And he mm-hmm. said, he waited a beat, and I, and I, and I said, well, what's he going to say? And I said to the people listening in the podcast, so what would you say? <laughs> what would you say, Heather? What's the one oh, thing? Yeah, the most important thing. Um. I, I I always go to relationship, whatever I can do to show that they can trust me and that I um, see them. You got it. You know, that's so, so, always been my thing. And I always go to love, mm. which is the same thing. It's sure. The, the kindness, the heart open in relationships. And when I was keynoting to this big group in Prince Edward Island, they have this great thing there where all the teachers get the day off across the whole oh, place wow. to come to a conference. And I asked them, I said, what is the most important, valuable, forever gift we can give the children with whom we work? I didn't know what they were going to say. But they said it. They said love. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, my God, how beautiful. Mm-hmm. Because if a child feels loved and accepted, as my son did, he can learn to read. People were saying, he's not going to get this. He's not going to. Um, and then they would cover it up. He, I really didn't say that he'll never, but they, oh, sure. <laughs> they felt it, you know, and he got yeah. that. But he did learn to read. He did learn to write. And when here's what Dr. Medina said, and it's just what you said. Uh-huh. He said, um, the first thing a traumatized child needs to feel with us is safe. Mm. Safe. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you a story, a true story, just broke my heart. Preschooler said to his teacher, Ms. Rodriguez, you have a knife in your brain too, don't you? Oh. And Ms. Rodriguez, instead of saying, oh God, there's something wrong with this child, I've got a report, I've got a report, mandated, mandated. She said, I do have a very bad headache today and thank you for noticing that and when you say you have a knife in your brain are you can you tell me what's what makes your brain hurt and this little preschooler articulately because traumatized children grow up so fast in some ways and stay Mm -hmm. so childlike in other ways um he described the painful stuff that was going on in his home and you know somebody was sick and somebody was dying and it just was so hard for him. And, and so every day that teacher and that child had this beautiful bond. Now she could have gone Heather in a whole other direction with him, but he was telling his truth and who knows, maybe he'll become a writer. Maybe he'll become an artist. But the fact that he wasn't judged, he wasn't seen as this sick child. He was seen as a child who was doing the best he could to express himself Mm -hmm. and to make a connection 
Here's the other truth. All of the children that are traumatized, like all children, but traumatized children are trying to make a connection. Their, their, their heart, our hearts were screaming, please see me. Please know that even though I'm pushing your buttons, it's because I want you to just see me. Mm-hmm. I want someone to just see me. And I watched it over the years, and I can still see it today. When someone sees my son, instead of seeing someone who looks different than them, my son comes to life. And so back to the original thing we talked about, it's hard um, to talk uh, about being a survivor of incest, about having a mother that was that was psychotic, about coming from a family where there was significant abuse and where we looked perfect. So I want to say to people that the children coming from the perfect families, John Bradshaw said, you got to watch out for them too, mm-hmm. because we have learned how to pretend that everything is good. So what I want to say to the teachers is to pick up on what you said and the directors and anyone listening, Heather, work with that child so the child can trust you. And trust comes from not being judged harshly, mm-hmm. from not being put in a box, from not being seen as my diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Trust comes from being seen as having a right, not just a right to be on earth, but a place on earth with gifts, mm-hmm. with gifts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just feel like I've been to church. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> no, thank you. No, that was all very so beautiful and meaningful and heart. I know that comes from your heart, and um, yes. and I just appreciate so much that you were willing to come on and talk about it with us all. Um, I I have enjoyed all of your books. I am really looking forward to this one. Um, so again, it's called "Happiness Is Running Through the Streets to Find You: Translating Trauma's Harsh Legacy into Healing," and it looks like it's coming out in the spring. Is it is. Right? It's gonna, it looks like late February, early March, okay. and it's a great gift for a teacher or a director to give herself because even though it's about the harshness of being traumatized, it is full of hope. Mm-hmm. It is full of people like Mr. Ganta, mm-hmm. who saw me. It's full of, here's the honest, gutsing, gutty, heartfelt, gutfelt truth, Heather. Yeah. I as every child that comes my way and your way, I ha- had gifts and I had a desire to live and I was a happy child and I was a curious child, just as most children are. And that desire to find the beauty in life, I didn't quit on that. So even though there was everything piled on me as there is piled on traumatized children, mm-hmm. I didn't quit, and I didn't quit in large part because of you, because of the people that saw me. Yeah. And so I ended up with a sense of humor. I ended up, even though I had a PTSD attack and failed the bar exam the first time, I ended up the second time saying, Holly, Lisa, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. And I had my chocolate right there. And I I took the bar review course so I knew what to say. Uh What I'm trying to say here is, Yes, a lot of us end up addicted. I have cousins, uh, relatives that are gone to addiction. Even in, And we end up also with, with um, acceptable addictions. My whole family is work addicted. That's acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, perfectionism. Oh, mm-hmm. had that in 
up the wazoo. <laughs> so, so we all, in traumatized people, end up with addictions because addiction is just a way to self-medicate the pain. And I self-medicated the pain by being funny, by trying to get attention, and then by getting good grades, and uh-huh. then by being extraordinary, first woman to do this or whatever. And it was all a cri de coeur. It was all a cry for help. Uh-huh. And so thank you to everybody listening who hears the cry, who listens to the child with the knife in his brain and says, you're welcome. Come, come sit on my lap. Let me hear you. Let me listen to you. I'm getting shivers just thinking about the power that everybody listening has to help those children come to life. I'm going to be 74. I didn't think I could ever live to be 17 or 22 or get Mm -hmm. get married or have kids, you know, oh my Mm -hmm. goodness. So you got it. And even though people call you a glorified babysitter, here's my Sicilian saying to that. Thank you, Heather. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for being on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I know that you will all have gotten something from this one. Um, and I appreciate you coming back next week for another episode. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks, Heather. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.